Good morning, Bowling Church. Uh, we're so thankful that you guys are here. We're thankful for our guests that are joining us today. We hope that you all feel welcome um, as well. For those of you following online, we thank you so much uh, for joining us, taking the time uh, to log in and be here with us. Um, if you feel comfortable, will you stand as we sing our first song?
seated. It's okay to do a round of applause too. Shout out to, yeah, it works, totally works. All right, I am going to fly through these uh, community life announcements, but I wanna pause here before we make another move. What you're about to see is not your typical Boulder church service, all right? So I need everybody who's like, oh, today is Sabbath. I'm here. I sit in the normal pew that I always sit in. Don't. Don't just do that. We're on your toes today, all right? So we're going to invite a bunch of different people up. Here's the one thing I want you to do. You're going to think to yourself, hey, when's Jeff going to get up and give the sermon, all right? Has anybody already pre-processed that? Those of you at home, have you thought about this already? You're ready for the sermon? Don't because that's not going to happen today, all right? Today is a very special day. We have an emphasis today through Avista Hospital. We have invited our friends and their associates from Avista. They're going to be a part of this service all the way through. Jeff's gonna kind of be facilitating, moving and shaking along the way, but I want you just to be ready for like a bunch of curveballs to hit you. Is everybody okay with that? Good, okay. I feel like with mouthful of muffin from the back, I got a consensus from everyone to say, you understand what's happening so that I don't get a nasty email saying, hey, what happened to the service on Sabbath? Jeff didn't get up and do the sermon. You skip the community life section and I will shame you via email. All right, fair enough? All right, good. Uh, here's, uh, we're doing a teen and children's baptismal study right now. So if you are interested, if you know someone who's interested, if one of your children are interested, we are meeting in the uh, collegiate classroom after Connect Group every single week. We're already a week in, but there's no such thing as showing up late to a baptismal study. So if you're interested, come and talk to me. I am facilitating all of that, as well as the food drive. We are collecting canned foods. We now have a, a box. We have multiple boxes, actually, out in the foyer right now next to flyers that say what we're looking for, non-perishable clothing items and perishable items. If you bring me perishable items, trust me, I will not let them sit in the bucket. I will bring them directly to them. So you can bring perishable or non-perishable. Just please tap me on the shoulder and let me know there's like a pound of butter that's sitting in one of them so that I don't find it after the service and then find out the hard way that we just saturated everything in melted butter. Fair enough? Good. Uh, last thing, the nominating committee is still hunting for people. I say hunting intentionally now, all right? There are a couple of weeks in, we're getting hungry. There's to the point where like, we need people and we're looking for people and we're looking at deacons and people to do hospitality and greeters and all these things. You're going to see the nominating committee, I think in this stance, this means they're coming to ask you to do something. So if you see that, run to the nearest foyer and pick up a thing and write down what you'd rather be doing before we get you into something else, all right? So that's your only warning, because Peter Chamberlain is hunting this week, and he is looking for you. Uh, th this one's a tough one. We usually have somebody else come up and do this. It's October. It's Pastoral Appreciation Month, which means you're supposed to appreciate me. And it's... Well, <laughs> Feels weird when you ask for it, but... Thank you, I really appreciate that. We also need to appreciate Jeff, which is fantastic. Yes. That's all I'm gonna say. If that's all we get for October, that was totally worth it. Uh, uh, last piece is this, I came up at the end of service last week. I will not be doing that this week. I'm coming up now to say we're coming to the end of the year. We're looking at our finances. We're doing okay. We've spent your money well. but. We'd like to know how we want to spend it moving forward. We also want to make sure that what we do at the end of the year matches what we said we were going to do. So will you come talk to one of us at any point and just say, hey, what are the finance looking like and how can I help be a part of making sure we stay in the black instead of dipping into the red? All right? Cool. 
The last thing I have here, I want to say I saw half of the family wander in, which is really good. Tomash is here, but we are still praying for Tomash and his wife, Marsha. Uh, Marsha's mom passed away unexpectedly this week. This week? Is that on Sunday? So uh, we are praying for Marsha, going through a really tough time, went home to Nebraska. Tomash, is she still in Nebraska right now? She is. So we're going to pray for her from afar. Uh, and if you have other prayer requests, things that you'd like for us to pray about, things you think we should know about that we can bring to the church family, we'd love to know about those things so we can bring them to your attention and to our attention uh, to God as we pray. That's all I've got for you for now. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite the kids up for the kids' life story. Jackie has a story for them, but let's pray before we begin. Father God, we are grateful for uh, the team at Avista. We are so glad that they're here today that we can put an emphasis uh, not just on our spiritual health, uh, but also our physical health, and to hear the stories of what you're doing uh, over at our hospital. It is so cool to think that what they have done in, uh, in light of all the things that they have gone through in the restart, in the rebuild, in the cleaning process after the Marshall Fire. God, we're glad everybody is safe. We're glad that they are here today. We're looking forward to hearing what you have in store for us here at Boulder Church through Avista Hospital. God, we also want to pray for Marsha today. We want to lift her up as she is at home in Nebraska, uh, dealing with family issues and the loss of her mother. Give her strength, give her courage. And God, give us courage today here on the Sabbath as we rest in you, knowing that your spirit is with us. Whatever might happen next, God, we're excited to see how you move through this space. It's in your name we pray, amen. And our, again, all the kiddos, if you would like to come forward, we have this like special VIP section that's right here in front of Jackie for this wonderful story she is about to tell. Are you ready for me? I'm ready for you. How many of you have been to an emergency room? Have you? Did you have an emergency? <gasps> Ooh, and you've been? Oh, wow. Anybody else? So what do we go for in, to the emergency room for? What, what, why would I go to the emergency room? For an emergency, basically. Yeah, like what kind of emergency might I go? I went for a COVID test. Oh, she went for a COVID test. That's good. That, that was the, most, the worst that you had. Anybody else? Okay, so that's, we call the emergency room an ER, don't we? This is for short. We call, all right, the story today is about an emergency room. And it's about a little boy named Davy. And Davy was out playing on Sabbath afternoon in Paradise, California. And the place that he was playing was so fun. It was right next to a big cliff. And there were rocks there, and you could look down this and look way down in the valley. So David was playing along there with his sisters, and something happened. His foot slipped on a big rock, and he fell over right off the cliff. And the girls came to Mommy, and they said, Mommy, come quick, come quick. David fell over the cliff, and he hurt himself. Oh, my. So Mommy raced over there, and sure enough, there was Davy about arm's length down, clutching onto a rock with blood coming out of his head and a leg dangling over way below. <gasps> Mommy was so scared. Fortunately, a big, strong man just walked by, and he said, 
sir, could you please help me? Could you reach down and get my son? And he did. He reached down. And I said, could, could you take us to the car? Could you carry him in case something happened? He said, sure. So he carried Davy to the car. Mommy hopped in and went as fast as she could, clear across town to Feather River Hospital. And we got to the emergency room. And when we did, Davy was carried right in to see the doctor and the nurse. And in the emergency room, it's not just a doctor and the nurse. Who else works in the emergency room? Surgeon. Surgeon? Who else? Uh, I forgot the word. You forgot. Okay. How about an x-ray tech? Right? They take x-rays there, right? How about housekeeping? Don't they have to keep it clean in there? Yeah. All kinds of techs. Well, anyway, they took Davy in there, and blood was coming out of his head a little bit. But they first of all checked him to make sure he didn't have any broken bones. They checked, and there were no broken bones. So then they checked to make sure his head was okay. And so they checked to make sure he could see, and he could see. And he wasn't even crying. And so the doctor and the nurse started examining him. And the first thing that happened is the nurse took one of these cuffs and put around his arm and pumped it up. And what was she checking? Blood pressure. Exactly right. So that was what she did. And then the doctor took this and put it in his ear and was going to check heart. Exactly heart. Well, Davy was not afraid. Yes. It means um, you have Go bump bump. That is exactly right. You hope that it's going to do that. And it, and it did that for Davy. So um, Davy, he says, you know what? I know what this is. And the nurse says, oh, you do? What is it? He said, it's a sphygmomanometer. Now, Davy was four years old. He said, it's a sphygmomanometer. S-P-H-Y-G-M-O-M-A-N-O-M-E-T-E-R. Oh, uh, well... Hmm. And so the doctor says, well, let's check your heartbeat now. So he reaches out to check his chest. And Davey says, I know what that is. What is this? It's a stethoscope. S-T-E-T-H-O-S-C-O-P-E. How did you know those words? Well, we have a friend who's a doctor, but he's from another country. And he can't say sphygmomanometer, and he can't say stethoscope. So I learned how to do it, and I learned how to spell it. Well, that's pretty cool, said the doctor. Yes? Don't we have a lot of nurses and doctors here? We do have a lot of nurses and doctors here today. It's a special day, isn't it? About that heartbeat thing, the first thing you said about it was that you had to put it in your ear, not the yeah, this you have to put in your ears, that's right. In fact, the doctor who couldn't say stethoscope, you know what he called this? The ear thing. And then this that goes around your arm, he said it's the arm thing. But Davy, who was four years old, learned how to say the right things. Now, you know what? The next thing that happened was a little bit more scary. Remember I told you there was a big bump on David's head? It hurt him, and he had blood coming out. Well, there was a little split there. And so the doctor took, what's that? A needle and some thread. 
He said, I'm going to have to stitch up your head a little bit. <gasps> Was David afraid? Well, actually, you know, he wasn't too afraid. You know why the doctor says, now I've put some stuff right on your head where I'm going to sew, and it makes it so it's not going to hurt. So guess what? It didn't hurt. And he did take those stitches, and it didn't hurt. And, you know, David was finished with the emergency room, and he had a good time. He liked the doctor, and he liked the nurse, and everyone was so friendly. And they said when he left... Bye, Davy. Come back again sometime. Well, not when you're hurt, though, right? So if you ever have to go to an emergency room, you don't have to be afraid, right? You're going to have an okay good time. Sometimes it's not so good because you really are hurting. But, you know, sometimes you meet the coolest doctors and nurses and everybody else, and that is super cool. And I'll bet you today we have some nurses and doctors here who are really nice. You may go back to your seats now. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Jackie. Lovely story. So, setting a context, setting the, uh, setting the mood for what we're going to do today, because uh, if, you, if you know much about the history of this congregation, you know that from its earliest days, it was connected with health care. It was connected with a sanitarium that used to sit right off over here on this hill. And in fact, a lot of these houses up here used to be filled with the folk who worked in this place. Some of you, some of you know these stories. In fact, Who's here that, that lived around here in those days? Yeah, there's, there's several of you that were around in those days when this was going on here. About all there is now is that, that old dorm up there and that big smokestack that sticks up over there that is left from those days that I guess the city has determined those are historic landmarks and they cannot be taken down now. So, so we'll see what comes of them in the future. But I want to ask Jonathan Ward to join me up here. Uh, Jonathan is the uh, the director of so so Jay went over this and mission. I didn't get it right. You say it, mission director of mission and ministry and ministry. There, there we go. go for Avista uh, Adventist Hospital. Is it just Avista or just Avista? That's enough. Yeah, that's yes, enough. Sir. Okay, and uh, and so Jonathan reached out to me quite a while ago. We got together and. Uh, and uh, we had lunch together, and we've done that a few times, and we've been talking about how can we uh, work together and cooperate together in ways that will be uplifting for both us and for Avista. Because Avista is really the, the child of what started here and then through time because of where, uh, where people are and where you need to be. The hospital has moved to other places. Uh, but it is the child of what was here and connected with us in a very special way. Mm -hmm. so, so we got to talking, and so what did we come up with? What are we doing here today? Well, Advent Health, who's our sponsor, as we are part of Centura Health, really wants all of its hospitals to connect with the local churches in the community. 
Adventists and non-Adventists. And so we thought the best place to start with that initiative would be Boulder Adventist Church since we have this tie and connection with Boulder Memorial Church, uh, Boulder Memorial Hospital, and we have a picture, a mural in our hospital that came from the old Boulder Church that was here at one time. And so we want to start here and say, we are partners with you and you are partners with us. How can we collaborate together to get out this message of whole person care? And one way we're going to start to do that today, we want you to just meet some of our associates and leaders and hear their testimony. We are a faith-based hospital. You walk in our hospital, you'll see a cross. You'll see a prayer table. You will hear an overhead prayer twice a day. We believe in the power of God, and we believe in the power of God to heal. And so that's how we're starting here with Boulder. So I brought a few friends with me today. And I have a booklet here I'd like to pass out. I think two gentlemen are going to help us distribute these, uh, maybe one per couple. And it talks about our legacy, our legacy in the Adventist health system here in Boulder, Battle Creek, Michigan, and that we have been around for a long time. Kind of like Don Marsh. He's been around a long time. <laughs> hey, Don. <laughs> Don was a chaplain at Avista, and then Daryl Rott. I don't know if Daryl is here, but Daryl was the chaplain I followed, and now I'm continuing uh, Don and Daryl's work at okay. Avista Adventist Hospital. So, yeah, I think you'll look in that brochure, and you'll see that uh, this involvement of the Adventist Church with health goes back to around 1866. And if you go downstairs... In this church, you will see on the wall, uh, it, now, down near the children's area, a, a, I guess it's a stone or something that was taken from the original church that has a date on it that says, Congregation Established 1879. Wow. That's when this congregation got started. That's around the time where, when uh, the sanitarium was here. That's a long history of engagement. And uh, times have changed, realities have shifted. It's not the same model that it used to be. But we still care about this. And Avista still cares about this. And there's still opportunity for us to find ways to work together uh, as a community with this hospital that I think we can be proud of as a people that this is what has come uh, of all of those years in that engagement. Yes. And you will hear from our associates who come today just how have they made it through the last two years, which have been very, very turbulent. How have they made it through? What has sustained them? And the beauty of Avista is we have employees, associates who come from all over, all different faith traditions and faith backgrounds. And together, we all are just extending the healing ministry of Christ. That's what it's all about. Did we say amen down here? Yeah. Okay. Yes, so sir. you can say amen. 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 Yes, sir. <laughs> have to check in every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So uh, then uh, should we invite Isaac up and let him take So we have here? a video that's going to play. Are you going to talk first or video and first? He's going to talk after the video. After the video. After the video. Okay. We're going to run that video, and uh, it's entitled uh, Beauty from Ashes. If you remember, we experienced the Marshall Fire. We all remember that. We had about 14, I believe, associates who lost their homes uh, many others who had homes destroyed by uh, smoke. And uh, we had volunteers also who lost their homes. 
So it's been a tough time for us. We went through the pandemic where the hospital basically kind of shut down and we all went through that together. So we're gonna see the video. Following the video, you'll hear from Isaac Sindros. He's the CEO for our hospital. The day of the fire, seeing how the community was impacted with the evacuations and all the destruction that took place, that was hard enough to witness with our own eyes. To look out the patient's windows and see the fire encroaching on the hospital, that was very surreal. My moment of thought was patient safety. So assess who's here, quickly run through our training steps um, and what we can do next. Everybody quickly jumped into action. The EMS and fire crew started pouring in, giving the insurmountable grace, kindness and love to us, started scooping our patients up and taking them away. I was able to find my role as what we would call the EMS liaison um, and take command of the EMS and fire support for the hospital's evacuation process. The relationships that were already in place prior to this day were integral, instrumental. I can't say enough about the, the selfless acts that I saw that day from nursing staff all the way down to the technicians in the hospital. Evacuating a hospital under normal circumstances is difficult enough. When you have fires all around you, it really amplified the severity of the situation we were all in. And to do that in under two hours, I, I have never been prouder. Chief said, get up there on that hill and put out some fire. So that's what we did. Uh, we put out the first flame front that came toward our station. sad you know I'm a resident of Louisville I live here this is my home when you have a disaster of this magnitude the impact on the community is enormous not just the day of the fire of having to evacuate two cities and then coming in and seeing the aftermath and the destruction but what you did begin to see was how community members rallied around their neighbors they supported one another and really it brought people together from day one after the fire, our community has opened its arms and showered us with, with love. If you go around our station, you can see that um, every single wall is filled with signs, um, many of them done by children. I was at a, a laundromat a couple of weeks after this in my uniform, and two people there who had both lost their homes were talking about that experience and still turned to me and said, thank you for what we did. And it was um, almost a guilty feeling of, you lost your homes and you're saying thank you for what we did. Um, that's uh, hard to otherwise explain, um, the feeling of that and um, what this community means. Seeing how the faith communities were given resources, people were donating to help those who were in need. You really began to see the character of the communities and really caring for those who are in need and just showing love to those who needed it. In the days and weeks that followed after the fire, um, I came to work at the station and it was difficult to drive here and to see every single day the houses that were burned up along the hillside and to see the blackened fields and the blackened trees. It was really hard. But now if you go outside to the same hillside, you can see signs of rebuilding and signs of um, 
regrowth. If you look at our field, uh, this field going down along our trail, that, that field has never been so green. The last few years have been extremely difficult. Between the pandemic, all the unrest, and the political division that there is within this country. What I witnessed and experienced starting December 30th and moving forward was a community that put all that aside and they were focused on one goal and that was to help their neighbors recover, help their community recover. And my hope is that the resiliency that we showed after the fire, we continue to work as one community to build a better tomorrow. Sabbath. Um, we, we really should have put me speaking before the video. That, that gets me every time. Um, I'm here to share with you a little bit of what it's been like for healthcare workers over the last few years. Um, and also, I'm going to share with you how my faith has helped me lead uh, through these times. But first, I want to start with how I got here. Um, not many people know this story. Um, back in 2018, my wife and I were sitting down and we were talking, and we felt compelled to sell our house. We were living in Orlando, Florida, and there's no reason really for us to sell our house other than we felt impressed to do so. We sold our house, um, rented for a year, and for those of you who are homeowners, I will tell you that was the best year of my life. If, if something broke, you place it in a work order, someone comes to fix it. Um, but I, I, I digress. So I had this opportunity to come um, interview here at Avista Adventist Hospital. And I will tell you, I'm a Floridian. I am warm-natured. I've spent the majority of my life in Central Florida. I did not want to come here. I did everything in my power to not come, but God kept opening door after door after door. So I shifted my prayer to... Lord, take our family to where you need us to be and where we can grow the most spiritually. Um, I got the job. And let's fast forward to uh, my last day was at my previous job was uh, November 8th of 2019. Remember, we rented for a year. We moved November 10th, and our lease ended November 12th. So a year prior... God was already putting wheels in motion for us to be coming out here. We didn't realize the magnitude and how he was already working in our life. So we moved here in November of 2019. I, met, I finished my 90 days, then a global, global pandemic hit. And for healthcare workers, you, uh, they, didn't, they didn't get to just stay home. They, they actually came in and put themselves at risk on a daily basis. There's one time I was rounding in, in the ICU, and I had a nurse tell me that I'm going to be tried for war crimes because um, we're, we're putting them at risk and we're killing them. And this was at a, a and I had to stop and realize and, and process for a second that this was a scared mother that was talking. This was a period in time where in the past you walk into a patient room, you put a mask on, you throw it away. There was PPE shortages, supply chain, supply chain shortages. We had to reprocess a lot of this. So there's a lot of unknowns for our staff. 
So as I was talking to this nurse, she shared with me that she had sent her kids away to be with her parents for the next four to six weeks because she was afraid of bringing this home to them and what it would do to her family. So she was selfless in sending her children away to be with her parents, yet this is the same nurse that was gowning up, walking into a room that has a vented COVID patient to compassionately care for them. That's a caregiver's heart. You throw after that, you, talk, you heard me mention all the unrest. We started to have nursing shortages. People are leaving the profession. They're retiring. They're just leaving. Um, things really became challenging. You throw the Marshall Fire on top of that. Um, and it is really, um, you throw, you're in the middle of a pandemic, then you throw a fire. What you're, what you're not seeing there is our teams were having to evacuate ventilated COVID positive patients in that process, and they did it rapidly. So what's hard to articulate is your gratitude for how God worked in your hospital's lives while the people you work with, your neighbors you've cared for, they lost everything. I can't articulate why, why someone and not us, but I was there that day. And I'll, I'll never forget, we're surrounded by fire, and we should have had some sort of um, physical impact on the hospital. There was none. We had some smoke damage. But as Jeff mentioned, our, our history here, we've been here since 1896, started out the sanitarium, moved to Louisville in 1992. Um, our impact here has been a big one. I think our church's impact in this community has been a big one. But one thing that surprised me is through this tragedy, the impact that little Olda Vista was able to have across the globe. One of my, one of my main jobs as we're working on the recovery efforts was to share the story of this team, share how God worked throughout this process for the team. And I spoke with multiple media outlets in multiple interviews, and we've reached 2.6 billion people across the globe heard the story of Avista being evacuated and the fact that it was still here. And they learned a little bit about our legacy throughout. And for me, you think of the impact. And I had nurses. So Fran, many of you know Fran. She's from South uh, Africa. She was telling me that, um, hey, I have family members in South Africa that have read about this. And then I've had uh, many other team members that kept reaching out to me to tell me about how they heard about this. And if I, if I could leave you with one thing, is through these hard times for myself, there's many times I kept asking God, why, why me, why us, why now? Um, but when you begin to look at how God worked in, works in your life and has worked in your life in the past, and you continue to lean on him, you understand your future is secure. Just like we understood that a year before our move, God was working in our favor, that's really helped us through the hard times that we've experienced over the few years. And many of our team members are gonna share their faith experiences as well. But my prayer for each of you is that we continue to look at how God has worked in our lives in the past 
and we continue to lean on him so we understand that our future is secure. Thank you very much for having me here. So I want to introduce you to Jane, Jane Harris. I, Jane has been there, how many years were you at Avista? 24. 24 years. She was there when I was there. There are certain nurses, Don can tell you, there are certain nurses, certain, when you walk in the unit, when you walk in a hospital, and you see them there, you know it's going to be a good day, no matter what happens. Jane is one of those nurses. I found out she was retiring by text. It was like the day... <laughs> it was like the day Michael Jordan said, I'm retiring, right? He said, it's a, she was one of our star leaders, star players. And uh, we just miss Jane so much. She's a house supervisor. House supervisors take care of everybody. House supervisors come by and check on the chaplain. How are you doing, chaplain? You need a prayer today? So house supervisors take care of all of us. So we were so happy to be, that Jane could come and be with us today and just share her testimony. And she's very active in ministry in her church as well. So Jane, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Don't worry, I have old eyes. It's not a lot of paper, it's just big. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta see this. Good morning, good morning everybody. My name is Jane Harris, and I am so very honored to be here today. I'm here to talk about my faith and how it sustained me through some incredibly challenging times. And I mean challenging. I mean, I have been a nurse over 40 years, and the last two years grew my faith more than anything has ever done. I, have the, I had the privilege of working at Avista for almost 24 years. My faith walk you don't know this about me, was pretty new when I came to Avista. I had been a believer for about two years. So I got to Avista one day and I said, you know what, God, I've got this. I'm a pretty good nurse. I know how to do this. And he left my presence. And I had the most awful day I've ever had in my life. So in his kindness, after he came back, after I repented, he reminded me about the fact that all the stuff I had done as a nurse in my life, long before I knew him, he did. He was with those kids that weren't breathing. He was there. He was there the whole time. And that was the only reason. So my next prayer was, Lord, thank you, and please be with me every day. Please allow me to be your hands and your feet for every person you've entrusted to me. And I have such memories, such beautiful memories of those times. I got glimpses of God's glory in the most precious moments. But let's fast forward to 2020. During this time, I was working as the house supervisor. It is one of the best jobs in the whole hospital, and sometimes one of the worst. In case you don't know by now, Avista has amazing, amazing employees. However, a big part of this job was attending all the emergencies within the hospital, all of them. The heart attacks, 
the codes, the problems in OB, the strokes, the crisis, and yes, the deaths, all the deaths. Interestingly enough, again, I agree with Isaac, when I was looking back at the last part of 2019, God just kept stirring my heart. He kept, I kept, it kept, kept trying to prepare me for what was coming. Many of my coworkers felt that way as well. God in his, just his glory kept saying to me, Janie, Janie, just stay close. Please stay close. I couldn't have possibly known what was coming or imagined, but, but God did. He prepared my heart and my mind to stay focused on him. And I was blessed with an incredible group of people who helped me keep my eyes on Jesus. We learned about COVID-19 shortly before it hit. A Vista pulled together a team gathering supplies and preparing our staff. Not a lot was known then, and sometimes the fear in our hospital was palpable. You could feel it. I spent a lot, and I mean a lot, of time in prayer that year. Prayer reminds us that God's power, it increases our faith, and it calms our anxious spirit. I learned to memorize scripture and believe it, I spoke it out loud often as I ran down the hallways. I was never really afraid for myself, but as a leader, I sometimes feared that I just wouldn't be good enough. I just didn't know what to do. But God, and that became my battle cry. When I am weak, he is strong. A godly administration sets the tone of a hospital. I am so grateful for Isaac and Leith and so many other godly leaders who spent long hours at our command center providing supplies, encouragement, and prayers. Lots and lots of prayers. The ICU nurses were amazing. The first wave of COVID hit and in spite of protocols changing every hour, and I'm not kidding, you would be out there doing something and they'd say, oh, they decided you better do it this way. Really, because I, I just did that. So <laughs> it was like, okay, if you don't like this, just wait 10 minutes. That, that's kind of how it was going. But they worked tirelessly to fight this disease, this new disease that we knew such little things about. We had little loss of life in the first wave, but man, oh man, the second wave hit, and we lost in spite of our best efforts. Fear turned to sadness and a bit of hopelessness where patient, when patients came from everywhere in Colorado, the state shipped us patients from all over Colorado. They came from everywhere, and they died within weeks, sometimes even days of arrival. I was having a hard time with this, a really hard time. And I asked God, why? Why would you send patients clear across the state, Lord, only to die without family here at Avista? Why? And I remember sitting in that chapel. And that day, began to understand that 
every patient in our care had been placed in our hospital by a very sovereign God. It was like each one of them had a divine appointment. Well, boy, doesn't that change the way you look at things. Then I went back to the ICU and I watched those nurses in all their garb and all their masks and all their plastic gowns that we made that hung to their toes. I watched them carefully stroking the brows of those patients. I watched them monitoring their breathing and I watched them speak quietly to them. And I saw it. I saw God's handiwork. And it was if he was going along with them from room to room, bringing his peace, that kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, of course, I got called away to another crisis. It was the name of the supervisor game. But later, I took the time to sit with each one of those nurses who were very discouraged and let them know what I saw, that they were my heroes, that they loved people well, and that God was with us. And I offered to pray with each and every one of them. Now, the ER, oh, man, they had their own sets of struggles. Talk about unrest. The registration clerks took the brunt of some visitor's fury. I cannot tell you how many times we got yelled out about mask mandates and not being able to see their families. But God. This time, he taught me humility. So I listened. I was fierce when I was defending my staff, but I listened to people. And I listened, and I listened, and oh, did I listen. So. I understood that many of them weren't mad about the mask. They were scared, they were frightened, and they had patients, they had family that they could not see. Well, Avista, we've got all kinds of things that we can do. We have an ICU that sets on the first floor. So the ICU nurses would turn the patients towards the window, and the house supervisor would bring the families out to the window. And then we would have them call on the phone so that vented patient could hear their, their loved one and the family member could speak to them. And they were vented, but they responded. It was like they were waiting to hear their family's words. And again, I saw a glimpse of God's glory when you love people well. Eventually, fatigue sent in. Yeah, we were tired. And it just seemed like you couldn't catch your breath. It came wave after wave. I picked up um, the Bible in a year on my phone, and I would listen to scripture on the way to work and on the way home. And I would listen to the same scripture as I went to work. And at home, I would want to identify what he spoke to me that day. On my days off, long walks around the lake kept reminding me of God's majesty, that he was the one in charge. But God was still stirring my heart. I, I, things calmed down for a while in 2021. And I actually got some time off. I actually had some surgery. Hallelujah. But... The stirring continued, 
and I sat in my home on December 30th and watched Erie and Louisville burn down. And I prayed for my friends, and I prayed for my hospital. And my first day to return to work, December 31st. So there I sat at St. Anthony's North in the boardroom with all of the administration and everybody who was there deciding how to help those employees who'd lost everything. And listening to those stories of those brave employees that evacuated that hospital under two hours. My goodness, Lord, I thought, how much can one group of people take? But God. I believe God used this tragedy to show up the lives of to show up in the lives of Avista and our community. I am so proud of how Avista cared for the staff. McKinsey had already given gift cards for our employees within the first 24 hours. And people told me that even through the hardest times, one of my friends lost her house and her dog, that the support that she got from Avista will forever change who she is. That's pretty remarkable. I would say that's another work of faith in action. So, voila, he talked about the cleanup. We went from rerouting the people who could work, and we went to the cleanup. And he asked, we asked every single employee who was not working elsewhere, could you come in and help us open up a Vista? And my, oh my. There, I don't even, even we had traveling nurses there, nurses who just had a contract, they came in and they helped us open up the hospital. And I saw the fruits of the Spirit played out there. Kindness, goodness. Uh, people were exhausted. We were throwing every piece of equipment away. And we would laugh. And we would cry. And we would regroup. And a vista was open. It was great. But, but God, he said, ah, Jane. And I'm like, what? <laughs> So, I realized that Avista had a chance to heal, but those first responders, those young men and women and sheriffs and policemen that wind up all the way down to the next street and stood in the flames and waited for the patients, never got to regroup. So, after sharing my heart with Carolyn and Jonathan, we decided to have an event to celebrate those first responders. Just so you know, I am not an event planner, but God. I belonged to a serve team at my church, and they had felt the same tug. They offered food trucks and gifts if a Vista would just host the event. So, long story short, after many, and I'm talking many, I am not an event planner, many hours of planning, many invitations sent out, and many small setbacks, I and many small setbacks, that day, that day finally came. And I can't tell you how much time I spent in prayer over that. It turns out, just so you know, first responders are really rotten RSVPers. <laughs> we invited like three, 400, I got 45 back. But 
my serve team kept saying, Janie, don't worry about it. Bring the food. They'll come. So I'm driving into work, and the donations had flowed in, and we had all these food trucks. But in my heart of hearts, the event started at 1. And I said, please, 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 God, I trust you. But could they all come at 1? It starts at 1. I don't want to wait till 2.30. <laughs> God, God loves me. He laughs, too. But, and so at 1 o'clock, fire trucks, ambulances, first responders, police, sheriffs, they all came blowing their horns. And we cheered them. And we celebrated them. And I saw laughter. And I saw healing. And, and the sun was beautiful. It was a beautiful spring day. And then, then, I saw big, big glimpses of God's glory. What a blessing. So I leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Corey Ten Boom. Faith sees the invisible believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Our God is so, so good. A vista will go on forever because the heart of Jesus lives there. Thank you. morning. Whew, these are getting tougher and tougher to <laughs> stay put together. Um, I also wanted to take the opportunity to thank this church because um, I do also, I'm a witness to this team and what happened during the fire, but you always remember the people that ran to help and this church ran to help. When I came to Alicia's house, her home was overflowing in two days, what you had all donated. I will never forget it, and neither will the team, so thank you.
appreciate that, Susie. There's, uh, I always love to see Susie because uh, other than Gable, she's the person here I've known longest, and, and Isaac too, because we don't just go back to, see, we were together in Florida. She was at the church where I was at in Florida, but we go back to Atlanta. She lived in the Atlanta area and when I was at the Marietta Church, so, so we're family. We love that, and uh, I love to see Susie and Isaac and uh, love to have them around. So we got a couple more things we want to do here, and we're, of course, privileged to have folks here from Avista. So, so here's, here's the rest of our program. I'm going to talk briefly with three different individuals from Avista. Um, then I'm going to say a prayer. Then we're going to have the band come back, and we're going to sing another song, and, and that'll be how we'll close out our service. But I want to take a minute here just to talk to three individuals that are a part uh, of Avista Hospital. And I want to start with Erica Manuel. So Erica, come on up here and join me. I got a mic for you here. So this is Erica. Erica, tell them your official title so I don't mess it up. <laughs> My name is Erica Manuel. I'm the Human Resources Director at Avista. Okay, so I'm going to guess over the last couple of years, that's been a really easy job, right? <laughs> Well, my prior job was compensation, so even worse. <laughs> even worse. So what has it been like trying to keep the hospital going with personnel through this just crazy time? It, it's been a challenge. Um, I've been in healthcare for 18 years, and I think these last two years have been the most challenging we've ever seen. Um, being on the compensation team, we were tasked to identify a price tag for people who are working above and beyond during this COVID time. And how do you put a price tag on someone showing up to work every day, sacrificing their life, right? And so we, we worked tirelessly. We got, developed a plan and invested $210 million into our staff over the wow. last two years. So how, how did that pay off? What kind of rates of turnover and, and staying did you see? <laughs> we. It paid off. Um, it had its challenges, right? Burnout is inevitable. We're not going to be able to stop that. Um, but we made our associates feel valued and appreciated even through the most difficult time. Um, there were times where we were offering bonuses um, during the Marshall Fire. We ensured everyone was paid appropriately. We also provided um, things to help with the recovery for people who had a total loss. So were you personally impacted by the fire? I was not personally impacted. Okay, but then you had a lot of folks on the staff. Now, as I understand it, you guys went out of your way to try to make good everybody that's a, that was a part of your team. What did that take to do? So December 30th, I was out of town and I was just transitioning over to Avista to be interim director at that time. And my leader called me and said, I need you to figure out a way to create a pay code to ensure people are paid and think of a solution that we can do to um, help offset the cost with either rebuild, insurance deductibles, what it would cost to rebuild someone's house. Um, and, and we did, we offered $20,000 bonuses to the staffs who had a total loss. And some of them had just previously terminated or they were getting ready to retire like Jane and we included them because wow. we wanted to show that Centura that they matter to Centura. Amen, amen. So I, I know that made a huge difference in their lives. What kind of impact has this experience had on you? 
This has had a huge impact on me. I have been in a turmoil of, um, I was at Avista, and then we had some, a lot of people get burnt out with human resources, so we had a turn, some turnover where I went back um, to corporate, but something was missing. I, I talked to my children and I said, something is missing, and my daughter wrote on the chalkboard, you will be great at Avista. Uh. And so I knew that that was the missing piece because walking through those doors and with Isaac's leadership, People are excited to come to work. They're yeah. excited to be heard. They're, I, I talk about Isaac and our new humble, humble bragging ceremony because <laughs> we invest in our people so much and we are their biggest cheerleaders because without them, we would not be able to provide the level of care that we provide. Amen. Thank you so much, yes. Erica. I appreciate it and all that you've done. So I want to ask uh, Mark McCulley to come and join me. Now, Mark is uh, serves as a chaplain at Avista, but that's uh, not his only job. Uh, tell us, wh what else are you doing? I also lead a small church, smaller than this one actually, but it gives me the opportunity to uh, also serve at Avista. And so we had all of our own challenges during COVID, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, so tell us what happened to your community as you went through COVID, because this church uh, has its story. What was yours? Well, we uh, were meeting in a rented facility. We uh, had a church that met before us, and then we had to clean up and have a church meet after us. Mm -hmm. So we were jammed in the middle of the afternoon. And with all the cleaning that would, would have been necessary before, you know, before we walk in, and to make sure that the facility was clean and sanitized for the church that actually owned the building that came after us, that would have been impossible for us to do. And so we had to, because of our own internal restrictions on what we could get away with and what we could do and the age of some of our attendees, we just had to say, we won't meet in person for a while. And so we've been piecing in a few other meetings here and there in person and the rest of it's been on Zoom. It's been it's hard, been hard. It? It's yeah. been hard. Really yeah. hard on a group. Well, I had to teach a whole bunch of old people how to use Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Which is nearly impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It took a couple of, uh, some of them it took about two hours on the phone to get it done. Wow. But yeah. we made it happen. Well, praise we, God We stuck that. together, we made it happen. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your role at Avista and how you got involved there. Um, I did my first unit of uh, clinical pastoral education, CPE during the height of the second wave at Anschutz Hospital, which is a, then was a 750-bed hospital. Mm -hmm. And it's a very professional hospital, but it's also really, really dry spiritually. Mm. Uh, you don't really talk about your faith there. Mm. Came to a Vista, um, I, I applied online and said, well, you know, what is there out there? Came to a Vista and started meeting with people, and I was blown away. It really is a, a spiritual place, mm -hmm. you know? God. It's a place where faith is talked about. Not everybody participates, but it's talked about. And it's obvious, as, as Jonathan was saying, you know, and others, we have a cross in the building, we have signs everywhere mm -hmm. about our faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's how our mission is. So what's it like to go and be with a patient or a family or mm -hmm. someone like that in that in that moment of, of crisis in their life, whether it's unexpected, whether there's something that's changed forever from now on, or even the loss. What, what is that like for you to go into that mm -hmm. setting? We're here till what, 2.30, 3 o'clock? <laughs> um, 
He is a pastor. He's been one. Yeah, you don't give a pastor a microphone. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what, what is it like? It is scary as all get out because I can't give somebody a pill or a shot or a diagnosis or even a pillow. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I don't function in that role. And so it's easy to stop and think, I don't have much to give, but I do. Mm -hmm. My personal mission is to spread the healing love of Jesus Amen. everywhere I go. And you think about what Jesus did. When he healed the leper, what did he do? He touched or he said, be healed. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't just a supernatural wave. That was the love of God. And that's what I get to do. The love with which God has loved me, then I get to give to somebody else. And I may not even be able to use the word God. I may not be able to pray with the person, but I'm there and I'm doing my best to let his love flow. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody is, well, as I was about six weeks ago, sitting with a family member and the person's mother took her last breath, literally in the room as we were talking. The only thing you've got is the love of God. You can say all the words you want, but what you've got is the love of God. And in some ways, that's when you've heard about how sometimes your faith moves from your head to your heart. It drops another notch, you know, because you're able to give what you don't have in you, except by the grace of God. And so all the things that Jane said, quite true. Um, giving somebody else that love, all I can do when I go in is pray the words out of Psalm 40, which are quoted in Hebrews 10. I have come to do your will, O oh God. Let me just do that. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's a powerful experience. I've not known it as many times as you have, but... Any pastor has been in that setting a time or two. Many times. But here's the thing. Everybody can do this, right? I mean, there is specialty to it, and there is a focus on it. But yeah. can't we all share that? Oh, my, yes. Amen. Absolutely. Um, if you've got the love of God in you, you can give that love to somebody else. We worry about having just the right words. Mm -hmm. It's not just the right words. It's the just being there, showing up and letting him do his job. Amen. Amen. Which he's better at it than we are. Yeah, way better, like Jane said. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell my congregation, God is really smart. <laughs> and he knows, he knows how to compensate for everything I can't do. Just like when we're giving a sermon. Lord, exactly. let my words fall to the ground and your words stay. Amen. Amen. Same thing. All right, thank you, Mark. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah. So one other guy I want to bring up, uh, Paul Reskin. Did I say it wrong? Heskin. It's R here. It's supposed to be H, huh? Yeah, it's H. All right, it's an H. We'll get that fixed. We'll get Sorry, man. We'll get there. Okay, so this is Paul, and the first thing you notice about Paul is he's very tall. Yes. And uh, it's not that I'm short. Mm -mm. I'm average height. <laughs> no, Tall Paul has been my nickname since probably fifth grade. Well, it's a very go. creative nickname. There um, you go. Yeah, yeah. So we're thrilled to have Paul with us. And let me just say, so I have the privilege of serving on the uh, Avista board, and it's been a real blessing. And, and Paul recently, fairly recently, joined the team. When did you come on board? I started in August of 21, so about okay. three months before the fire. Okay, so he is the CNO. I'm learning all these mm. cool new acronyms. That's the 
chief nursing officer. Yes. And I just want to say, I have been unbelievably impressed with this guy from the time he came in. I've never seen anybody so on top of and aware of and doing so many amazing things. Am I right, Isaac? Yeah, yeah. So where does that come from? Where do you get the will to, to do this? I'm just incredibly talented. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, um, Thank you, Paul. I, I, uh, <laughs> so I was at Rose Medical Center for four years before I came to Avista um, and had just an incredible mentor and coach in my CNO that trained me in everything that I do. Um, I made it through the first three waves of COVID at uh, Rose and my daughter who's with me during that um, had a surgery um, and I was missing out on her life and my son's life, my wife's life um, and had to take a step back. So um, April of 21, I quit without knowing what I was going to do mm. um, and I uh, took that those few months, it was about three and a half months uh, to decide where I was going to go next and I applied all over the place. I decided I was maybe even going to go back and be a PACU nurse. I was going to be a director at Children's Hospital Colorado where I'd started before and just take one unit and do it well. Um, but I made the decision that I was going to interview my boss and not pick the job, have I was going to pick my boss. And I interviewed with Isaac, and from what you guys saw here today, you understand why I took the job that I did. Uh, Avista is a special, special place. Um, the exec team with Erica and Isaac and Leif, our CMO, Carol and Andrew, our finance people, it is just incredible, and we put people first, and we do... Uh, you saw our, our uh, mission statement earlier. We extend the, the healing ministry of Christ by caring for the ill, which we do incredibly well, uh, but we want to care and nurture the people in our communities. Um, over the last two years, it has been really, really hard to do that because we have spent 150% of our focus caring for the ill in our hospitals, and we have not been able to connect with the communities, which I love, doing fun runs, doing events, doing uh, setting up a booth at some sort of fair. That what is what enriches my life and makes me feel whole. Um, I love caring for patients and caring for our, our caregivers who care for our patients, but connecting with the communities is what fills my cup. Um, and we haven't been able to do that. And we realized over the last two years the communities needed to take care of us, and you guys did that for so us. So what was your role after the fire? What um, there yeah, you? so after the fire, I, I got to meet Jane um, in the boardroom at um, St. Anthony North the day after. Um, I was co helping coordinate via phone, driving down from the mountains, um, the evacuation, and then drove and set up incident command to figure out uh, what we we're going to do for the next 24 hours. So we spent the next, um, I think it took us six hours to track down every patient because it was absolute chaos. Uh, we were writing down patients' names on post-its, on back of envelopes, uh, grabbing what we could from charts as firemen and, and EMS and everybody just showed up and waited in line in smoke to pick up our patients. So we laid out across a board table, it's probably as long as this uh, pew, um, and we tracked down every single patient, and I called the last patient, I think at 10.15 p.m. It was a cath lab patient that we just said, Hope you do well, get out of here. Um, and so we had tracked every patient that we transferred, we had called every patient we discharged, and that was the last patient. I called him and he cried and thanked me for 
caring about finding out that he went home. And then we figured out what we're going to do for the next 24 hours um, of where we're going to send our staff, how we're going to staff the three hospitals we sent patients to. Um, and then we made a plan of where we're going to send nurses for the AM shift the next day. And we said, okay, um, let's go home. It was 1 a.m. I woke up at 4.30 and said, oh, forget this. So we, I drove past our hospital, went in and did a quick walkthrough. There was still smoldering in the field and in the street leading up. Um, but then we met at St. Anthony's North instead. Let's come up with a plan. So we figured out the next 36 hours of where we're going to staff, how we're going to send people. Um, started meeting the hospital the next day at 5 a.m. and just started figuring out how we were going to clean every single inch of the hospital, wipe down every supply, clean ash off of every single inch of the hospital, um, which means moving every room to a complete empty to clean and clean every single piece item that's in that room to move it back in. So I, the house supervisors took it from me. I put together just a simple spreadsheet of where our nurses worked, but then we figured out, oh, we've got to staff everybody in the hospital, and we did. We figured out how to send food nutrition workers and EVS workers and radiology techs to other hospitals, and everyone we could staff, we got them to staff other hospitals, and everyone that didn't staff rolled up their sleeves, put on some jeans, and came in and cleaned. Um, so the house supervisors took over staffing for me, and I kind of led the crew in-house and tried to keep morale up. So I bought, a, I bought a megaphone and played music and screamed directions to them. And whatever I told them to do, they did it. I said, I need those 40 rooms cleaned and emptied and moved into this hallway so that we can clean that unit. And I would go into the boardroom and start making plans. I was like, well, that's going to take them three hours. And I'd be getting a call 45 minutes later. We're done. What next? Wow. Um, and we did that for 19 days. Um, so we had hired a um, disaster relief company, SurfPro, that does this. They do floods and tornadoes and, and fires everywhere. And right when I, I did a final walkthrough with the entire, we had logged every room, everything that we're going to have to do. The, con um, the leader of that group's like, well, this is a four and a half, five week project. And I walked into the boardroom and Isaac's like, we're going to open on January 19th, which was 18 days later. <laughs> um, and I said, we're not going to be able to do it, and we did it. it and it was, it was the faith, the, the community. Everyone supported us. Um, I started bringing 30 people in because I wanted to be cautious of how many people we had in the building and how, people, how many people were exposing to the smoke, and 50 people showed up. And we had churches and elementary schools and fire stations buy us lunches, and the next day... I'd say we need, we need food for 50 people and food for 80 people would show up. And um, it was just incredible. And that is what kept me going, to see um, the community show up for us. Um, our battle cry, and it came from Isaac, is we're, we're on a little bit of a hill above um, Louisville and Superior. And he said, we don't need to reopen to make money. We don't need to reopen to make sure we do whatever. We need to reopen to be the light on the hill, to Amen. be... Um, that that light for our community to say that we will get through this. And Amen. we did it, and it was pretty amazing. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Awesome. So that's the, our band to come back up. And, and, you know, sometimes you get discouraged when you, you encounter incompetence in the world. Well, there's amazing competence uh, at Avista. 
and in what's taking place there, really across the board from the leadership on down. And we recently had, uh, had a group that comes in and does evaluations and things like that. I, mean, I haven't learned that acronym yet, but, but there was a group there that did that, and, and the board came and met with them and talked for a little while. And, and, and what occurred to me after hearing them respond and hearing the different people was, was this hospital has a much better team than a hospital that size should be able to expect to have. It's, an, it's a remarkable group from, from really everybody involved. Jonathan and Isaac sets the tone, and Carol is just amazing with the finance, and Paul and Leaf and all the different ones. You know, it's really an honor for us uh, to have this as a legacy of this community and to have this as something we can be involved in. So as we go forward in the future, we're going to look for more ways uh, where we can partner and cooperate and do things with this remarkable group. Because I'll, I'll tell you, they can't do anything but make us look good. So being associated with this crowd is going to be good for us. So uh, I want to say a prayer right now, and then we're going to sing a song. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time we've had today to celebrate uh, what has happened out of Vista over these last few years uh, as if uh, COVID wasn't enough on its own to go through this fire and so miraculously come through and be that light on the hill for the community that brought hope to so many. Lord, I pray that your blessing continues on all of these folks and upon Avista and upon this church as well, that we will hear your voice, that we will always keep in our hearts the idea no matter what comes up, we can still say, but God, he's going to do something. Help us to rely on him and to trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. good to have reminders of God's goodness. It's good to hear the stories of success. It's hard to be reminded of the stories that didn't go the way that we hoped they would. But this morning we're here to worship because we know that through the good times, through the bad times, through the fires and through the storms, God is with us. Amen. So I'll invite you to sing the familiar words. Um, these words, I, I know I've reminded of you, you of it before, but they come from an old hymn. It's a new melody, but the words are just as true today as when they were written. Let's sing them together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but I only trust in Jesus name Let's sing that again my hope is built my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood 
Lord, let's sing Christ alone. out this service now. You can all take a look at your clocks, your watches. It's 11 a.m., which means connect groups are starting right now. So uh, we're going to invite you to make your way straight to there. They always say a good leader takes it upon themselves to, to own their mistakes. I'll put this one on me. You can reach out to me at Jonathan Ward at Centura.org. Making this mistake, that's on me 100%. I'll take all the criticism there whenever you want to send it. Uh, as we finish out, I want to send you out with this blessing. The one we do here at Boulder Church every time, but may it be true today. May Jesus bless you with gentleness and a heart that is tender. May Jesus bless you with the strength against all evil. May Jesus bless you with compassion and care for all people. May Jesus bless you with courage that you dare to be who you are. May Jesus bless you with openness, understanding, and respect. And may Jesus bless you with the power to make